Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And we're going to be looking at the first 14 verses today. And so I encourage you, if you have your Bible, and you should have on your electronic device or your actual paper Bible, I would hope that you would have it open this morning. I want to kind of, we're just kind of kind of move through this pretty quickly. We have a lot to cover, so uh, we're going to move pretty quickly. Um, Rich, I know, got done early last week, uh, and so he said he would yield his five minutes to me so that I can go an extra five, right? And he, re- he really needs to yield about 15 minutes to me, actually. Um, so... So when we look at this, I just want to recap, you know, we're here at the, um, Jesus has has been um, crucified, he's been resurrected, he's appeared to Mary, he's appeared to the disciples, Um, he showed up in the room and and they didn't know him and, uh, you know, they appeared to him and Thomas wanted to touch him and all that's already taken place. And so now we don't know where this is at after this. It's before um, the day of Pentecost. It's before the Holy Spirit is given. And so it's somewhere in these 40 days here, these really 50 days, um, and it's before his ascension. So really we have about a three-week period where, where this is probably taking place. We don't know how many times Jesus actually appeared to the disciples. Um, it could have been multiple times. We just have a few places that it's recorded for us. And so we have to be careful not to be too technical and say, well, here and here and, and line up everything, it's possible that he appeared many times to them. But I will say this, and I just want to share this because if you study Scripture, and I hope that you are, not just reading, but really diving in and studying, and, and sometimes that means reading a commentary or looking at, at what words mean and all that sort of thing. And I will tell you that in our culture today, there are a lot of what we call contemporary commentators. And contemporary commentators, I'm not going to go into big thing on this, but um, they look at Scripture differently, and they are constantly tearing it apart and saying, that really didn't happen, that really didn't happen, or it really, this wasn't that way, and you really have to be careful who you're reading, and I'm not saying that, that you should protect yourself and say, don't read anybody else, I believe that the Scripture can stand for itself, but I'm just saying you have to be careful, um, because a lot, of, a lot of people will start to tear things apart, and so one of the things, and I bring this up, because if you've been studying here in John, chapter 21, uh, for some uh, contemporary commentators and and theologians, they would argue that 21 was never part of the original text. That chapter 21 was not part of the original gospel. And I've studied a lot of this, and I feel very comfortable to tell you this morning, it was part of the original gospel. It absolutely was part of the original gospel. And and one of the reasons why that they feel this way, and and there's many reasons, and I think all of them have, have can poke holes in them pretty easy, but one of them is at the end of chapter 20, what did it say in verses 30 and 31? It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And they would say, see, it ended right there. This is the perfect summation of the gospel. It ended. And so now we see that it goes on. There's another chapter. There's there's more, right? And just a reminder, and you all know this, but... John didn't write in chapters and verses, right? We added that later so that we could find our way through the Bible, right? We could find our way through the text. So this is one continuous thing. Now, what we may want to call this next section of his letter or the gospel is an epilogue. This idea that an epilogue, uh, and I'm not some big literary 
genius here, but an epilogue is something that is kind of written that's at the end of a, a literary piece of literature, uh, could be a book or a story, that kind of sums up some things and kind of closes some loopholes because you've read the story, you've got it all, but there were some left things that were left open-ended that we didn't get closed up. And so the epilogue comes back and the author kind of says, okay, let me close things up for you. Boom, 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 boom. This is what happened here, this is what happened here, and this is what happened here. And so what could have been some of those things that John was doing? I'm just going to list a few of them for time's sake. Well, first of all, it's a further demonstration that, that Jesus in a, is in a glorified body here. Right? We, we saw him appear in the room, and he was, is, it was Mary there at the tomb, and he appears through the room. But this is the first and really one of the only times we really see Jesus in, in a very... Um, relational way. He's, he's on the beach. He's talking to them. He's eating with them. He's walking with them. There's this whole picture, and it gives us this picture of like, okay, Jesus appeared to them, and, and he, was, he could touch his side and touch his wounds, and, but now it's like, no, he's a, he's a man. This, this glorified body is, is here. It's, it's something we can touch. It eats. It, it can have fellowship with us. It's not this spirit-filled thing that's that no one can touch. And, and it gives us an idea of what it means to, to live in a resurrected, glorified body. We see here also that what, what is Peter, what's happened to Peter? Remember, Peter's denied Jesus three times. And, and yes, he, he runs to the tomb, and, and John is there with him, and, and they, they, John believes that Jesus has been resurrected. And then we know that Jesus has now appeared to them in the room, but it looks like there's been no reconciliation with Peter. And so we know that Peter's got to have a heavy heart here, doesn't he? I've denied the Lord. What does he think of me? What, does he love me? Is he disappointed in me? Am I, am I, am I a true believer? We, we don't know that that conversation has taken place with Jesus. And so it, it brings some conclusion, and we're not going to get all that, more of that next week. We're going to see that, but it's, it's this idea that he kind of comes back around, and, and we see that Christ restores Peter. Because if it just ended right there, the, the gospel readers would say, well, what happened to Peter? Like, did Jesus bring him back? Was he, was he restored? Was it because he denied him? Is he part of the kingdom? What's his role? And so here in the epilogue, it brings that back around. It also tells us a little indication on how Peter dies. Kind of ends of his life, and so it's kind of completing his life. And then finally, I would say that it concludes with John here at the end of 21 um, affirming that he is an eyewitness account, and that's why he could write the Gospels. And we're going to look at that next week. But many of these things are coming from a very eyewitness account. He was there. We're going to see the number of fish. He was a fisherman. It's his point of view. He was there. The one, the disciple that Jesus loved. And so I want to encourage you. I believe it's absolutely part of the original text, the original gospel. And as you study, don't be afraid to read those other opinions, but, but just make sure that you're looking at things in a, in a full view and getting lots and lots of, of good um, study in about what really has taken place in, in the literary context of all of this. All right, let's look at chapter 21, verse 1 through 3. We're going to move very quickly. And Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's also for that you know the Sea of Galilee. All right, so the Sea of Galilee is up north. Um, it's where much of Jesus' ministry was done, right? And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, 
but that night they caught nothing. Now, just to kind of give you a paint a picture for you a little bit, remember the Passover was going on. Everybody had come to Jerusalem for Passover, right? And so there was people there from all over Judea had come for the Passover. And it was really a seven-day feast and festival, and they ate and they worshipped, all right? And so now people are going back home. And so people have probably going back north, going back to Galilee, going back to Cana. They're all going back. And clearly, the disciples now also have decided to make this trip back to Galilee, And so we're going to see that a little bit. We're going to talk about it here in just a few minutes. There were seven of them. He names five of them. He doesn't name the other two. Now, if you are studying and and reading um, historians and people, there's all sorts of reasons why people think they didn't name the other two. We don't know. And so be very careful when you're reading somebody's thoughts about what took place thousands of years ago in the text. Um, Some people would say, well, they didn't name the other two because it represents all that would someday be Christ's disciples. Well, that sounds really good, but we don't know that's, that that's true or not, right? We know there was two others. We know that there was seven. That's what the scripture says. We know that Peter is named first. Now, probably because it, it shows that, that Peter, we know that Peter is going to be part of the leadership of the church. We see that in Acts chapter 1, right? He's, he's filled with the Spirit. He's preaching. He's leading the church in many ways. And so this just shows that Peter probably is out of respect and out of his leadership. He's named first in the list. That's just kind of the way that happens. And then it says that, as Peter says, I'm going fishing, right? I'm going fishing. Now, if you think about Galilee, he was a fisherman. In fact, where did Jesus first encounter him? On the Sea of Galilee. Fishing. And, I, and, I'm gonna, and I don't know how I'm going to work through all this, but... But it's just amazing to me, and and I don't know how God put all this together and all the reasons why, but this idea that when when Peter is first called by Jesus, he's fishing. And the way that he proves to Peter that he is the Messiah is there's a bunch of fish that get caught and break the net and almost sink the boats. And what we're going to see here is the same thing is happening on the Sea of Galilee at the end of Jesus' ministry. I mean, God has orchestrated this beautiful relationship with these guys, it just like he orchestrates it with us. I mean, I'm sure many of you, I mean, even at Tabitha's testimony, you can see how God was working. Even, even in Sycamore Ridge with that guy who wasn't teaching very well, right? He was working. And by God's grace, that guy's wife invited her back to church because, you know, I get a second chance, right? And, and so we see this, this intimate relationship here that's taking place. Now, Jesus here, just to kind of, show you this, this idea of why they are in Galilee. Why did they go back to Galilee? Well, I want to read to you from Mark chapter 14, verses 28 through 31. It says, but after, and this is Jesus talking here in the gospel of Mark. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus is, this is the, the they had the, the Last Supper, they've, they've had communion, he's, he's given them the, the bread and the wine, and, and he's talking to them, and he tells them this. It says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, now see this relationship? It's, it's already back here, right? Even though they will, uh, they will all fall away, I will not. This is when Peter's bragging and saying he won't let Jesus down. I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now we know that 
We know the rest of the story there, right? We know that Peter did deny him three times. But Jesus is telling him already, before he sins, before anything happens, Jesus has a divine appointment of restoration with these guys. And specifically, I believe, with Peter. And so he's telling him, go back to Galilee, and I will find you there. Because you're going to sin, and you're going to need restoration, Peter. And I'm going to be there, and we're going to go back to the sea. And I'm going to show you once again who I am and how much I love you. Like I said, next week we're going to look a lot more of that. Where else do we see that this motivation to go to Galilee? We find it in Mark again, chapter 16, verse 7. This is when Mary goes to the tomb and the angel is there and it says, the angel says to her, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as I told you. Interesting, Mark is is writing here and, and, and saying, even tell Peter, like there's this a divine appointment. Peter definitely needs to make sure he's there in Galilee because I have something I want to talk to him about. And we see again in Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter there of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 6 and 7. It says, once again, the angel of the Lord, he is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So this is another account of the text here, of this narrative that's taking place of the resurrection. And then finally, there in Matthew 28, verse 10, he goes on there. It says, then Jesus said to them. Now this is Jesus saying in the resurrected form. He's speaking to them. He's speaking, I think, to Mary and some of the ladies. We're not exactly sure who all was there. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So clearly the scripture is saying these guys need to get to Galilee. Now, if you're really paying attention and researching this, you'll see, but the day of Pentecost happens in Jerusalem. So someplace they go to Galilee, and then they come back to Jerusalem, right? And you need to just read that and see that, because when the day of Pentecost happens, and the Holy Spirit is given to them, they're in Jerusalem, all right? But for now, he is sending them and telling them to go there. And he's probably going to hang out with them for these, these 40 days, right? He's going to hang out with them. We don't know how much, but we're getting these little pieces of, of things where it shows it there. So the question now becomes is, some people would ask, okay, Peter and, and the guys are there in Galilee and they're fishing. What was happening to Peter? We don't know. Was Peter... Once again, some um, contemporary commentaries would say, well, Peter had abandoned the faith and he went back to his job. Well, I don't believe that's true at all. I don't think the text supports that at all. So why is he fishing? Well, we don't know. One, they had to make money, right? The, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. They hadn't been endowed with the Holy Spirit yet. They, they really don't have this, this powerful force in them. They've not had that supernatural event, I don't believe, that's taken place that we've been talking about. It's not happened in them yet. They're there. They're waiting on Christ. He's gonna, he's, they're in Galilee. They don't know where he's going to show up. It's not like Jesus says, hey, I'm going to be at the, you know, the corner of such and such and such and such on Tuesday at 5, right? So they're just in Galilee. They have to eat. They have to, they have to provide for themselves. Maybe they're selling some fish, and there's seven of them. Where are they getting food? Where are they getting money? Right? So they have to do something. So it, it makes perfect sense that they would go out fishing, that they would be out doing that. That's what he does for a living, if he was a tent maker, he'd probably say, hey, let's go into town and see if some people need some tents made. We can earn some money. We can buy some fish. But no, he's a fisherman, and so they go fishing. 
So it makes absolutely good sense that they're fishing. And then in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 21, it says, Just as the day was breaking, because they've been out all night now. So many times, um, fishing, especially on the Sea of Galilee, fishing was best at night. And so many times the fishermen would go out at night. It was cooler and they could fish. The fish would would be better to, to be able to catch fish at that time. And so just as the day was breaking, so dawn is coming. There's probably a mist across the water. Uh, they're out. They've been fishing all night long. And as the text already says, they have caught nothing. Brandon, I hope you have much better luck when you go fishing. But they've caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know who it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. So, first question you would ask is, why didn't they recognize him? We're well, going to see here in a little bit that it thinks it was probably... 100 yards or 300 feet, that's like looking at the the length of the football field, at this guy on the shore, right? And it's not like, you know, they had all these necessarily colorful outfits that everybody wore and identified each other. It's probably a very common outfit that he's wearing. It's probably a mist and the sun is just coming up. These guys are tired. They've been fishing all night. And there's some guy on the shore that's probably saying, hey, do you have any fish? And these guys are like, who is that dude? And wish he'd shut up, Right? Now, maybe that guy's, maybe they don't know, maybe that guy's saying, hey, I could use some fish. Like, can I buy some fish from you? I mean, if you're catching something, I'd like to buy something. But actually, in the text here, when you look at the actual, the grammatic use of this, he's really not only asking the question, but he's really saying, guys, haven't you caught anything? Like, he already knows. It's really the, the, the language there, it's really more of these, these guys. And when you use this term children, it's not in, in our, the way that, that translation is, it probably isn't maybe the best translation. It's really the term that we would say guys or boys or lads if you're English, right? Like, guys, haven't you caught anything? And so these guys obviously are not happy. They've been fishing all night. They're frustrated. They're tired. And Jesus is kind of reminding them that they've came up wanting, right? He's just kind of reminding them here at this moment. And he's setting up what I believe is going to be this, this beautiful thing where he says, you know, I'm the one that's going to make sure that you catch fish, right? And that, that can be taken, in, and there's commentaries, and, and people that are going to talk about this, and I think you can, you can read into some things. You need to be careful here. But there's spiritual overtones here about being fishers of men, and that we're going to be fishers, right? And that, that Peter's going to continue to be a fisherman. He's just going to fish for men, right? But it's going to take somebody to supernaturally bring fish to him. And isn't that what God does? He supernaturally brought Tabitha. Yes, we are people that cast nets in the water and we're bringing in fish. But God brings the fish. God fills the net. We don't fill the net, right? God brings them. One way that I would encourage you to look at this is, um, I, was, I was learned this years ago. It's, it's like um, God is the lumberjack. The tree is the thing that he's working on, the masterpiece, and he wants to drop the tree. It's that person that he's working in their life, and he wants them to surrender, right? He wants them to be broken before him. And, and so what does God do? He picks up an ax. He picks up a saw. He brings a bulldozer in to knock it over. We are the ax. We are the saw. We are the bulldozer. We can't bring the tree down on our own, but in the hands of the lumberjack. 
we can be useful. And that's what God does in salvation. He uses his people to bring the harvest, right? What does Jesus say? Laborers are few. Yeah, well, God can bring life where there's death. We see that all the time. But what does he do? He uses us. He uses the labors. We see here when Tabitha went and got the gospel shared with her. She had a mentor. God was using. He was working at that tree. And all of a sudden, she comes to the ridge again, and, and she sits down with somebody. She's in biblical counseling. She gets to meet Brian and Desiree and Robin, and they begin to share the truth of the gospel with her. Because biblical counseling is nothing but intense discipleship. It's about getting in the word and saying this is the truth of what God says he, who he is, who you are, and how's that relationship supposed to take place. It's that simple. It's, it's, it's not, you know, there's not, it's not no psychology and all this stuff. This is, like, this is what the word of God says. You're a sinner. You've been created. You're dead. God is holy. He's just. He loves you. He wants to save you. You have to surrender to that. He comes in and he makes you a new creation. And, and that's really the, the dynamic of that. And it goes much deeper, obviously, in certain places, but that's really what it is. So if you're curious about that. And so here we see that the day was breaking. They don't know who he is. He calls to them. And this idea of this fish, you know, he's, he's just saying, uh, is, do you have a tidbit? Do you have any, any little bit is really what he's saying. He's really just rubbing it into these guys a little bit. And then verse 21, chapter, or chapter 21, verse 6, it says, he said to them, now this is Jesus. Now this is a guy on the shore. They don't know who he is. They're already tired. Now think about being out there and hearing the guy in the back seat telling you how to get there. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Isn't that your backseat driver? You've been driving all day and somebody now is telling you what to do. Right? And so he's doing this and, and, and we don't know. Obviously they don't know who he was and, and so they do it. They, they, they listen to him. We don't know why. They're probably just saying, look, let's appease this guy. Let's do this thing. So they casted it, and now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish. One statement by Jesus. And when they acted in obedience, even though they didn't know who it was, they listened to his counsel, and the net is full. The net is full. What can we take away from that? I'm going to share three things with you over the next few minutes that this text, I think, reminds us of, important things it reminds us of. This first one, it reminds us of our dependence on Christ. It reminds us of our absolute, total dependence upon Christ. Just like we're the axe or we're the saw, we cannot save anybody. We're absolutely dependent upon Christ to bring salvation, to make someone alive, to give them a spirit of God inside them. That's absolutely something we cannot do. We see here in John chapter 15 earlier when Jesus is talking about the branches and the vine. What does he say in chapter 15 verse 5? He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Not like, well, you can do some things. No, if you're not attached to me in the spiritual sense, you can do nothing. You cannot, you cannot regenerate yourself. You cannot be born again. You cannot, you cannot have sanctification in any real meaningful way in your life. Apart from me, you are helpless. And this, I believe that there's this spiritual overtone here that's happening, that, that they've been out all night long apart from Jesus, and they've come up with nothing. Jesus walks on the scene, tells them one thing, where to cast their net, and their net is full. 
It reminds us that our dependence is on Christ and him alone. We thinking about that as we were singing, in Christ alone. Boy, it's, as we think about the gospel, one of the things as we read through the, the epistles, the Pauline epistles, the thing that keeps coming back and back that, that Paul is keep butting up against in, in these, these cultures and these people and the Jews and, and, and these Gentiles is that they have another way of salvation. It's about works. It's about circumcision. It's about doing this. It's about doing that. It's about having uh, Gnosticism, this, this extra spiritual knowledge. And everything keeps tearing away at the gospel. It's in Christ alone. Nothing else, as Brian said when he was in the baptismal. Not by works, not by, not by church attendance, not by giving, right? None of those things. Those are all evidence. That's all fruit of your relationship with Christ and what he's done in you. All right, let's pick up that, that next verse here in chapter 21, verses 7 and 8. That disciple whom Jesus loved, now we're talking about John again. He's, that's kind of his title that he's put for himself. He never calls himself by name. But that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now notice that John, John always gets it, right? I mean, you think about the tomb. When he got there, he's the first one that realized. He knew. Now Peter's the one that went in, but John realized. And then John realized that the that Jesus had risen. He's the first one that kind of says this. John is kind of the one that's, that's thinking through things. In fact, even if you look at the writings, the book of John and, and the gospel of John and, and first and second and third John and Revelation, I mean, John's a thinker. John is just a person that's thinking through things. He's, he's very, G, Peter's really more of the guy that's just living it. He's just experiencing it as it comes. He's just living it. And you're going to see that here in a minute, right? And so that's where we see him here. And so John says, it is the Lord Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. Now, what does it mean he was stripped for work? Probably he just had a loincloth on. He's out there, he's rowing, he's fishing, it's hot, you know, and he's working up a sweat. And so he's, he's probably, but now he's going to put his garment back on because it's not going to be appropriate to, to get up to the shore and have nothing but a loincloth on. So he puts this garment around him. For he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. Peter finds out it's the Lord, and he just has got to get there. And so he just flings himself into the sea. He's swimming for shore. He wants to get there. He wants, he wants to see Christ. Now, my, my assumption here is, is that he still has this pain of this rejection, this pain of letting in this guilt in him, and he wants to come to Christ. He wants to come and say, I, please forgive me. I, I don't, we don't know that this text doesn't say that, but just this, the context of everything that's happened here and what John is revealing to us, why is this here? Because Peter has a passion, a love for Christ, that he's dying to get back to him and say, Jesus, for, forgive me, forgive me. I believe that that's a very good chance of what is taking place here. In the text. Now, obviously, as we see, as I said earlier, this, this, we don't know, but I got to believe that when John leans over and says, it's the Lord, Peter, all these things come back about when he was first fishing three years ago. And I want to take you there. In Luke chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. This is Jesus now getting into one of the boats. This is early in the, very, the early part of the ministry when he calls the disciples. Luke chapter, three, chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter. 
he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, sounds familiar here, doesn't it? We've toiled all night and took nothing. I mean, what a, what a mirror image of what's taking place here in the text. We've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Boy, see this, how Jesus has planned this? This first experience encounter with, with how he shows Peter who he is. Peter's a fisherman. He's, he's very much an experiential kind of guy. And he, he shows him this beautiful picture of, of his majesty by, by filling the nets. Even though they've been getting nothing all night. It's reminding us that we could do nothing without Christ. And here at the end of the gospel, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he's doing the same thing to remind Peter. It's like bookends in Peter's life. Now if we go back to Luke chapter 5 and, and we just skip down to verse 8. What's the, what's the thing that happens to Peter here? But when Simon Peter saw it, now he's talking about the, the nets breaking, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He gets it. But what does he get? He gets that he's sinful. He, he, he's in the, in the presence of the Son of God, majestic holiness. And he gets it, and, and that, that holiness shows who he really is. And now we see here in, in the text in John, Jesus has reminded that he's going to sin, and he does sin, and so he's in the same place. Peter's remembering, I'm a sinful man. I just denied him three times. He's bringing all of that back to Peter. And then he's going to show the fish again and his provision. In verse 9 of chapter 21, he goes on there. It says, when they got out on land... They saw a charcoal fire in, in, in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Here Jesus has, has prepared breakfast for them. Right? He's, he's been on land. He's prepared breakfast. He, didn't, he wasn't waiting on their fish. Right? He's got breakfast cooking. He's got bread there. They've come up. He knows they're tired. They've been out all night. They've been frustrated. And now they're coming in. They've caught this, this great haul of fish. And he's got breakfast. Okay, what is... What does is, what is it think, I think we can take away from this? I think it's an application for us. Is that it reminds us, because we're at the end of the gospel here, and John's kind of wrapping some things up. So what can some things we can remember from the gospel? It reminds us that we need to serve one another. The Son of God has made breakfast for guys who deserted him, for a man who denied him, and he's making breakfast for them. And not only is he making breakfast for them, he's told them how to catch fish and where to catch the fish. And he's filled their nets up. You talk about grace. You talk about a love for sinful people. When Paul says Christ died for us while we're yet sinners, I think this is the demonstration of that in the text. He's loving us in spite of who we are. He's loving them in spite of what they've done. What an example of Christ's humility here. I just think about the church, and, and as we, we think about our world, and I'm just going to use America because it's, it's the world that I'm most familiar with. It's the culture I'm most familiar with. I think this is true for all over the world. But in America, we become so self-centered. We, we become so me-oriented. Whether it's social media and, and selfies and, and all of it, it's about me, 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 me. 
it, it's about my advancement. It's about my success. It's about my bigger house. It's about my more cars. It's about my stuff. It's about all about me. We don't want to give anything away. That's why tithing in the church is, is less than like 5% of people that profess to be born-again believers. The supernatural things happen to them, but nothing supernatural has happened in their wallet. And I'm not saying that the people aren't believers that aren't tithing. That's not my point. My point is, is that somehow there has to be some supernatural change. And if, if, it, if it's not that I'm, in my resources I'm not giving, in my time I'm not giving, these same people that say, Christ has changed my life, but don't only attend church a half a dozen times a year. Or maybe 50% of the time of the year. Because what's more important is this or that or sports or, or going away to the lake every weekend during the summer. And, well, yeah, I can, I can just watch online. That is not church. And if you're watching online this morning, I love you. I'm glad you're there. If you can't make it here because of COVID, I understand that. Or because of the weather. But that is not church. Church is the assembling of the body. The worship together. To be in present when people are getting baptized. To be able to pray for one another. To cry for one another. That's the point of the church. It's fellowship. It's not to sit at home. Look, I had COVID last week. I sat in my recliner. Now, I will say I never got up during the service. (laughs) But it wasn't church. We sang a little bit, my wife and I, but not nearly as loud as I sang back there this morning. Right? I didn't have my hands raised at home. I I wasn't anywhere where I was this morning. And I'll tell you, when I walked in this morning, I saw all of you. I was so glad to be back. So glad to be back. Because there's, this is what God intends for us, to have a fellowship. So what an example of this fellowship and this, this oh, I've got to, I've got to, I'm not going to read the next three scriptures. Because Rich will never let me hear the end of it. Um, but, but really, it's, it's John chapter 13, uh, Matthew chapter 20, and Philippians chapter 2. And they're all just representations of, of the humility of Christ. It's, it's who he is. He's a servant, right? He's a servant. He came to serve us. He came to, not to be served, as Scripture says. Let's look at John chapter 21 through 10 and 11. It says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and and hauled the net to shore, aboard, and went to, and hauled the, the, the fish ashore. Full of large uh, fish, 153 of them, and though they were so many, the net was not torn. Now, once again, if you do some research, you'll find all of these um, cryptic things about why 153. <laughs> I mean, it's adding the numbers up of the Greek alphabet and letters and words, and, and you know what? Who knows? But that's not what John said. Why is it 153 fish? You say, how would they know 153? These guys are fishermen. This maybe is the best catch they've had forever. They're going to count it, guys, right? And then they're going to lie a little bit. No, I mean, <laughs> that's human. That's, you know. it's, 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 and, and maybe they're going to divide the fish. There's, there's 12 of us, or there's seven of us. We're going to divide it up. There's 153, so you get this many, I get this many. Peter's going to say, it was my boat, I get more, right? I mean, we don't know, but they're, they're dividing up. So it's not uncommon that they would know this number, right? They're fishermen. They would know that, right? So what is the third thing we see here that it reminds us of? It reminds us of Christ's abundance, abundant provision in our life. Abundant, right? It, it's not that he just caught, he, they just caught 14 fish, so each one could have two, The net was full. If you come to Christ and you surrender your life to Christ, I will tell you, your net will be full. And you say, well, but finance, it's not just a financial matter. It's a spiritual, it's a a belonging issue. Your heart will be full. 
It's, it's just not about finances. Sometimes God works that way, absolutely. But we don't get to say, well, I'm going to do this and God's going to make my net full of money or things. That's not what God cares about. He may give you those things to use for the kingdom. It reminds us of Christ's abundant provision. All right, got to keep going. John chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of, them, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Now, I don't have a lot of time here, but basically what they're saying is, look, can you imagine that morning? This guy that's resurrected from the dead last week is on shore cooking his breakfast. I may want to ask if it's really him. Like, because this isn't normal, right? But yet they knew it was him. And so that's really what John is saying. He's just kind of showing and highlighting this tension in their life, their tension in their understanding of this miraculous thing that just has taken place in their life. Right? It's just not like, oh, yeah, it's Jesus, let's go. No, these guys are saying, dude, he's, he was dead last week. I saw him. Yeah, I know he appeared to me in the room the other day, but I don't get it. Is, he, is this really true? I mean, that's what John is trying to show here, I believe. And then verse 14, it says, Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. Now he's just this intimate thing of eating together, especially in that culture. It was such an intimate thing. And he came and he brought bread and he gave it to them. And so with fish. This is how the third, now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this is the third time that John is talking about here that John is aware of. We don't know how many more times after this before the ascension took place. All right, I want to give you a final thought now as we close. I want to take you back to verse 20, chapter, chapter 21, verse 7. It says, when, Peter, when Simon Peter had heard that it was the Lord, he put, out, he put on his outer garment that he was stripped of, and he threw himself into the sea. And that, to me, of the 14 verses, that's it. He knew there was Jesus, and he threw himself into the sea. Some people say, well, maybe he thought he could walk on water, because he did that once, right? But I don't think that was it. He dove into the sea because he wanted to get to Christ. It didn't, Katie barred the door, man. He was going. He didn't ask permission. He didn't say, hey, guys, can, can you row in without me? Can you? No, he's saying, there's Jesus. I'm gone, John. He's in. Peter has a deep love for Christ. As I was just thinking about that, what's the question that this leaves us today in, in this text? What is the thing that we can walk away with and we can kind of use as a check in our own heart? And I would just say that it, it's this idea of, of are you willing to throw yourself in the sea for Christ? Is that what, what's calling you? Maybe you're here today and you're not a, you're not a Christ follower. You don't have, you've not been born again. That supernatural thing happens, but, but you feel this call. Tabitha talked about this call. And you've decided you're in and you just want to throw yourself in. I, figuratively, isn't that what Tabitha just did this morning? She threw herself in the water. Just like, just like Peter. She said, I'm going to stand up for him. I love him. I'm going. I'm all in. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what people, you know, are going to say about me. I'm going to share the gospel with people. I'm going to raise my children. I'm going to have devotions. Even when it's hard, I'm going to try and do those things because I believe it honors the Lord. Matthew chapter 13, this is Jesus speaking in one of the parables. And I'm going to read these two. These kind of go together. Chapter 13, verses 44. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, don't miss that, then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. 
He gives away everything. He's jumping in. He's diving in. It goes on there in verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's what Peter's doing here. There's one thing of great value, and it is Christ, and he is diving in. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. So I would just ask you the question this morning. Does your life demonstrate a deep love for Christ? Now, I'm not asking you to go out to the pond and jump in. It's very cold out there. But I'm, but I'm asking you to look at your life. Because if you don't see that this desire to jump in, to throw yourself into Christ, then I'm wondering, did something supernatural happen? I don't know. You have to come before the Lord and ask that question. Does your life demonstrate a deep love for Christ? Maybe it's how you serve. Maybe it's how you love your children, how you love your wife, how you die to yourself, how you share the gospel. But Jesus has to be in there somewhere. It is not enough just to serve. There are great philanthropy groups and people around the world that give millions and millions and millions of dollars. That is not what he's saying here. He's saying, is your love for Christ demonstrated in how you live it? It may have to do with finances in your life. It may be how you give up those things, how you're generous. Are you willing to sell all that you have to have a relationship with him? And, and figuratively, I, I mean, really, are you willing to let go of things if it's keeping you from Christ? Because I tell you, things do. And, and that goes for whether you're a, a, not a believer yet and you have to depart from some of the worldly things you have to let go of. Did you notice what Tabitha said? She said, we're listening to different music. Now, does that mean that, that, that saves people? no. It means that I'm willing to let go of things that the world has entrapped me in, the shows, the music, the, the, all of the things that I, I'm willing to let go of that and dive in for Christ. It's worth it. He's the pearl. I'll sell everything to have that. I'm not taking any chances. Most of us want to walk the line. We want to keep as much stuff as we can, but still love Jesus, and we want to keep all of that stuff, and then we just, you know, do I need to give? I don't want to. That's not what Christ is calling us to. He says, come and die. I have abundance for you. I fill the net. What are you worried about? Are you willing to look foolish to the world to pursue him? Are you willing to do that? I think of Treb and Abby French. They're getting ready to go to Africa. I think they're diving in for Jesus. Amen? And, and, and God's not calling us all to do that. Good for them. I think God's calling them to do that. But equally as important is you diving in to share the gospel with your neighbor. It's equally as important how you raise your children, disciple your children, share Jesus with your children. It's equally important as if you're praying with your wife, your spouse. It's equally diving in to say, I'm going to serve. I'm gonna, I'm, I, I don't, I've never given money to the kingdom of the Lord, but I'm going to start. And I'm going to give $10 a week. You're, you're starting to dive in. But if you're not diving in anywhere and there is nothing in your life that way, if there's not a, a demonstration of a deep love for Christ somewhere in your life, then I want you to check your heart and say, have I been born again? Has the supernatural thing happened in my life? And if not, I want you to get down on your knees and I want you to cry out to God and say, God, would you do this in me because I will dive in. I'm ready to dive in if you will just save me. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, you are beyond words. You are the pearl of infinite price. 
Father, I pray that it will be true that we would be willing as your children to sell everything we have, sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively, that we would walk away from the world and its trappings because we know what you have is more valuable. And Father, that that demonstration of love, a deep love for you, will be exhibited to our family, our children, our friends. And Father, there are going to be times when when that's going to make us feel uncomfortable. That's going to be times when when we're going to be persecuted for that or, or feel weird about that, Father. But it is what you call us to, and it is the demonstration of our faith. It is the thing that gives us assurance, Father, of our hope and trust in you. So, Father, today as we leave this place, if that supernatural thing has not happened in someone in this place today as they leave, Lord, I pray that that they will feel that weight of your Holy Spirit pulling at them and calling them and you into a relationship, and that you will they will surrender to that as Tabitha has, and that you will come in and you will be a make them a new creation in Christ, and that in the weeks and months ahead we will see someone else dive into the water for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.